Future Design Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Please go to my website and subscribe to my monthly newsletter that includes the review of the four episodes of the month, takeaways, and books and reviews that are read to prepare for the show. You can find the website at fdpod.co. That's fdpod.co. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, please leave a rating and a review that more people like you can find the show. Now that I got that out of the way, please enjoy this week's show. Hi guys, what's up? This is Takatoshi Shibayama, the host of the Future Design Podcast. In the past decade or so, the cannabis industry has exploded all over the world, first in the US, then Canada, and then on to Europe. Even Asian countries like Thailand has opened up for medical marijuana. Despite its medicinal benefits, and also the historical usage seen throughout many civilizations, why has the plant been suppressed for so long? Well, actually, it's only been 100 years or so that way. I have a small announcement I'd like to make. I've started a cannabis education website called Halftimer for people in Asia to understand about the medicinal usage and also the products that are being produced that are arriving on Asian shores. This is a taster episode of the Halftimer podcast. I won't be posting on a regular basis like the Future Design podcast, but for anyone that's interested, please visit the website. I have posted the URL on the show notes, so do check it out. In this episode, you will hear Colleen Higgins, cannabis pharmacist out of the US, talk to us about the hidden history of cannabis that most governments don't want you to know. The full version will be available soon, but in the Halftimer website, I have posted a bunch of short videos of it where Colleen will dive into the medicinal benefits of cannabis. So without further ado, this is Colleen Higgins. Design podcast. Thank you, Colleen, for being on our show. This is the first time for Halftimers to shoot out an episode, and this will be co-branded with Future Design Podcast that I have been running for about a year now. Let's just say welcome to the show, Colleen. Thank you so much, Taka. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk to all of your listeners over there on the other side of the planet. Um, and educate them on the benefits of cannabis, which is the oldest new drug that is available to people these days. It's uh, gathering a second life, shall we say. Yes. For sure, for sure. I mean, throughout the centuries, we've seen many ancient civilizations and even the modern ones have been using it. And now over the last 100 years, there has been a lot of prohibition against cannabis. And this is where I wanted to dive in. But before we do that, uh, I know that you're a cannabis uh, pharmacist, and you wrote this wonderful book, and I w- read through this so quickly because it was so, I don't know, invigorating to, to read it through, uh, The Cannabis Prescription. And I think it's a really monster book that I really think that everybody can enjoy because it's so info-packed with all the how-tos and all the, you know, the effects that cannabis can provide a medical 
benefits that can provide to us. So could you give us a little bit of who you are and why you got into this industry? Absolutely. Love to. Um, so you're right. I am a licensed pharmacist. I've been a licensed pharmacist since 1998. I've been working in pharmacy for 28 years. Crazy to say that out loud. Um, but yes, yeah, so I have seen a lot in terms of pharmacy. I moved into, I'm living in Connecticut, on the East Coast of the United States, and we had legalization happen in 2013, and the first dispensaries were licensed in 2014. So in 2014, I began working in the dispensaries around Connecticut, and it, I was able to see the benefits immediately uh, that patients were able to achieve through the use of cannabis. It was a you know, it was a it was a scary time because we didn't know what we were doing. As a pharmacist, I had 20 years experience in terms of understanding medications and how to apply them and how when the side effects were setting in timing, all those kinds of things. But to step into a world where you didn't have the kind of research that pharma offers was very, very different. But the patients needed an alternative. And and this is a really a grassroots effort here in the United States. Patients wanted another alternative to pharma for treatment of symptoms of disease. So I've been working in different dispensaries. Um, and after about five years, I noticed we did not have a manual for patients to understand how to use the medication, even in the most basic terms of either inhalation, oral, sublingual, topical. Uh, so I decided to write that book at that time. And I started my business, Sway Innovations. And I have been uh, giving advice and um, speaking to different groups uh, it slowed down a lot with COVID, um, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm still working in one of the dispensaries in town, uh, one of the largest dispensaries actually, and it's absolutely fantastic to see patients achieve um, relief after trying drug after drug after drug. So um, once this kicks out, I'm going to be reaching out to more physicians, um, expanding their knowledge, expanding patients' knowledge. I've spoken to patient groups such as Parkinson's. Uh, patients as well as MS patient groups so they can understand what the program is all about and uh, the different ways of using cannabis. You know, a lot of patients are very nervous about the uh, psychoactive side effects of THC and there are ways of diluting that and uh, decreasing that effect, which a lot of patients prefer. Um, so I've learned a lot and I look to advance uh, education for both patients and medical providers so they can understand how to use this for their patients. For many years in Asia, cannabis has been taboo. I see Western societies opening up little by little to the medicinal benefits of cannabis. But in Asia, it's still such a stigma around the product that it's almost, it's completely like a hush-hush. We're not even allowed to talk about it. And this is a quote from your chapter one by Thomas Jefferson that I thought would be really interesting. And I wanted the listeners, especially for the Future Design podcast, to listen to uh, before we go on with the questions. And uh, Allow me to, to read that part uh, for the listeners. Laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of human mind. As that becomes more developed, more enlightened, and new discoveries are made, more truths discovered, and manners and opinions change. With the changes of circumstance, institutions must advance also to keep pace with the times. 
And I think this is a very novel quote from Thomas Jefferson that right now we're experiencing so many new discoveries in this cannabis product, and yet there are regions in this world where it's not even allowed to be talked about and not even research are beginning to happen. And that's why I really want to start talking about this conversation here in Asia because there are certain countries that are starting to open up with CBD products. And I, I believe that medical cannabis will start to be accepted in this part of the region. Now, can I open up with one question is, what are the common misconceptions of people's understanding of cannabis? The first, uh, you're talking about the chapter where I talk about the history of cannabis in the United States. The first misconception is that it was made illegal based on science. Right. It was not made illegal based on science. It was made illegal uh, based on racism was really kind of the first um, step against cannabis. And then we had um, uh, the, the laws just continued to push cannabis on the back burner, never, ever, ever supporting any science that it was dangerous. So um, cannabis is one of the safest drugs that we have um, available on the planet right now. We don't know anyone who has actually passed away from toxic effects of cannabis. Um, and most drugs these days that are developed do start from a plant base. Pharma goes to the Amazon and the rainforest to find these amazing drugs and then turn them into a pharma type of drug, which can be synthesized again and again and again in um, the exact formulation. So it's just a, a, a cookie cutout where it's the same again. And with cannabis, that's not, um, people are a little bit afraid, <clears throat> excuse me, because you don't have the same thing over and over. Every time you grow it, it's a little bit different. So I think the first major misconception is that um, it was made illegal based on the idea that there is some sort of danger to it. And um, that's wrong. The, uh, it was put uh, into that category of a schedule one federal substance here in the United States, which essentially says it has no medical value and a uh, large possibility of um, addiction. And neither of those have been shown to be true. There are withdrawal effects, but nothing compared to opioids or anything like that. So cannabis is a very safe substance. Um, whether we're talking about CBD, which is one cannabinoid, or whether we're including THC, which is the cannabinoid that has the psychoactivity. There's actually over 100 cannabinoids in the plant itself. So um, it is a very safe substance. That's, that's number one. Yes. And in here in Asia, I think it was a lot more political than it was racial. And during the times of the League of Nations, this is the institutions prior to the United Nations, there was a convention uh, during the 1930s to ban opium through all the nations that were uh, participants of League of Nations. And it was the U.S. sponsored uh, actions that supported legal illegalization of cannabis that was included in 1938. And countries like Thailand, Japan, and, and the rest here have all followed suit to follow U.S.'s Marijuana Tax Act uh, during that time, uh, led by um, the FNB, the Federal Narcotic FDA, Bureau. FDA, F federal yeah. drug. Yeah. Yep. Harry Anslinger. Harry Anslinger was the guy back with Hoover um, who was very much against it. There um, was a lot of research that he was very close uh, with pharma and with, um, oh, who was the other big one? The paper industry magnet. Um, and these two, what was that? First. First, thank you. Um, and these two, you know, money buys you a lot of laws. <laughs> so these two wanted this gone because um, this was something that was already being used. 
made by companies like Eli Lilly, which does all the diabetes drugs here in the United States, massive, massive drug companies, uh, pharma companies that use this uh, originally. And it was on pharmacy shelves all the way back at the beginning of the 20th century. And they didn't want it around. This, was a, this is a very versatile plant that was going to affect a lot of industries. And that means a lot of money. And they saw that and they wanted it gone. So it's gone. It's gone for now. But the, everything in the United States is a grassroots effort where it has shown where people say, I want this back. I, I want this as an option. Um, you know, this is what I prefer for pain or anxiety or other issues. And, um, you know, we're not willing to just kind of take it at face value that it's it's an illegal, bad for you drug that people are just saying that's no, it's just 80 years later. It's it's really um, it's meeting its match. People are not willing to believe that anymore. Hemp was commonly used as textile ropes and papers back in the day, and it was a it was a competing industry against cotton. And apparently, d- during that time, there was a person that was able to co- uh, create cotton gin. The mm-hmm. Dickinson, the I think, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The engine that was able to extract the cotton out of the seeds and and make it into a a, a product. Whereas hemp took a long time. Uh, for it to create such an uh, engine or, or a machine to be to extract the fibers out of the hard wooden core of the product. So during that time, the cotton industry has exceeded hemp. And when when it, the time uh, this gentleman in your book, you wrote uh, Je- uh, George Chilton or sorry, Chilton. Chintin, <laughs> it's hard to pronounce his name, uh, invented this machine, uh, it was already gone. You know, the hemp industry was already in its way to become unlawful in the country. Now, why do you think that cannabis and hemp was not, was treated different? What, sorry, let me rephrase that. Why wasn't hemp treated differently from cannabis? I think it's too confusing. I think it might just be too confusing. Hemp is technically cannabis. It's just a separate strain. So it became very confusing for patients or or people, I should say, and politicians to differentiate. So let's just get rid of it altogether. It looks the same, even here in the United States, uh, when it became legalized, hemp became legalized by Trump actually in 2019. And there was seizures of, of patients or of, of sellers with their hemp products because they couldn't tell the difference. So um, I think back then they had a lot less THC as well. You know, it's been bred more to have much more THC and there was much higher levels of CBD and less levels of THC, but they didn't, they didn't want it around. They, it just was all, let's get rid of the whole thing. We don't need to separate and worry about what, it, let's just get rid of all of it and we're good to go. So I just think it was that they couldn't tell the difference. They didn't want to separate. They didn't want to go through the work. They probably didn't have the testing procedures. Um, They really didn't identify THC until I believe it was the 40s and the 50s. So it was just they didn't have the the capabilities of separating separating those two out. And so just got rid of it altogether. But there were a lot of associations like the American Medical Association was going against uh, you know, like Nixon and everybody was saying that, you know, this is, this does have actual medical use and it shouldn't be classified Nixon as a schedule didn't want one it. Drug. Nixon scheduled it in a class one. Nixon was Mr. Pharma and he didn't want it. And then immediately, I think it was five years after we had the case of the glaucoma patient um, who just proved that there is a medical value without a shadow of doubt, went to the Supreme Court and it was proven that this patient uh, could not see, could could not, was losing his sight starting at the age of 25. Was it uh, 
Robert, Robert Randall, Robert, uh, his, his name is escaping me, but he, he was trying every other um, medication that was on, uh, FDA approved at the time and suffered tremendous, tremendous side effects. Those medications were really, really tough to get, uh, tough to tolerate, and he was not able to um, get any benefits from them. So these, these medications were not lowering his pressure. His pressure was off the charts, and he was steadily going blind at the age of 25, and from there, he was able to prove that cannabis was the only thing that was keeping him from going blind. So the United States had the University of Mississippi grow, <laughs> grow cannabis for decades for patients quietly. Um, so they knew that it had a medical va value for patients to keep their sight. I mean, this is significant, but they kept it quiet. So there's been this conspiracy going on for decades of, of just to keep the medical value of cannabis very quiet. It's incredibly interesting. From somebody who works with pharma and sees the power of pharma um, and how they price, uh, I saw a price um, <clears throat> playfulness, we'll call it, that's been going on for the last decades where they'll take an old drug and just you know jack the price up really high. And, and so I've seen this, it's, it's really their, you know, profits push, profits push and Cannabis was something that was not, they did not want it around. Like, no matter if we're going to grow it for patients, we're going to keep it secret. We're going to make sure people don't know about it. But um, it's really quite, um, it's, it's depressing if you think about it as, as a consumer, because you trust your government and you trust them to bring things that are safe and, and good for you as a patient. But this, they, they kept very secret. They did not want people to know that there was a benefit, a serious medical benefit to this for patients with glaucoma. And as we've discovered, it's just expanding more and more and more. You know, we didn't discover the endocannabinoid system until the mid 90s. So they didn't have a basis to um, show within the body how it worked. You know, with opioids, you have an opioid receptor that was discovered and, and you can see the lock and key mechanism of how it's gonna work. But we didn't discover the endocannabinoid system until the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And that showed that this plant um, does fit in our body lock and key and causes effects. Um, so it was important to know that the medical value is there and we can actually trace it now through the endocannabinoid system. So this probably, let's say, 100 years of making this product a, unavailable to normal citizens like us, do you think there was a lot of research done on cannabis or do you think that was just very ad hoc things that were happening? Because if we lost a whole century of medical research on this cannabis, we must be so behind on understanding this product that right now, even though we're doing so much more understanding of this product, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be at the level of where these pharma companies have already researched their own medicines. It's true. Although with pharma, the great thing is, is, is they bring these drugs out, right? So they have a short amount of time to bring the drug out onto the market. And then once you get it into the market with the full spectrum of patients, then you see the problems. So pharma drugs really haven't been around that long either. Um, but in terms of cannabis, I learned from a friend of mine that owns one of the grow facilities here that the government does not support studies that show the positive effects of cannabis. They only would give money for the negative effects of cannabis. So they kind of, again, set us up to look at this as a negative drug, a negative perspective, which is extremely unfor unfortunate, um, but that's the way it's been handled for whatever reason we want to stick on that. So um, we did not have any of the medical 
um, kind of attachment to it was all negative. What can we look at that's negative? It makes you high, that's a negative, this is a negative. <clears throat> um, but they came up with very little. Now, there are so many studies going on. Um, it's been approved in Connecticut that we can run studies. So there's a Yale study on uh, pain happening right now. And if you go on to the international websites, there's tons of, of um, studies that are happening around the globe. And are we behind? Yes, but I've seen tons of um, pharmacy drugs come out that uh, a decade in is pulled off the market because of issues they don't see initially. Uh, my favorite is is these GERD drugs. I don't know if they're popular in, um, in Asia, but here in the United States, we have these um, drugs used to decrease the production of acid in the stomach. Real smart drug, if you think about the way that it works, it kind of just works on one um, proton pump inhibitor and it inhibits it, and so you're producing less acid, and this helps with patients that are dealing with esophageal burning and tears and all other kinds of issues. Well, about um, 10 years in, 15 years in, once it's gone to the generic for quite a while, you get to see that there was kidney dysfunction. Within two weeks of taking the drug, you get to see that there's a lack of vitamin absorption for patients. So there's other issues associated with that. So there was blood thinning issues. These don't come out until 10 years later. So, you know, pharma drugs, they, they love that research, research, research. And I, I agree, the research is fantastic, but we don't see what happens with the drug until we take it and we place it in the full population. And then we get to see all the fun stuff that pops up. So, you know, with cannabis, it's been around for a long, long time. We know that it's, uh, it's much less toxic than these other pharma drugs. And um, if we can really dial it in for patients, it, it's a fantastic option, a fantastic safer option, which is what I love. We always want safety and when you're handing out medications, you don't want, you don't want to make sure that people are hurt. So um, as an option, it's fantastic. I heard that Purdue Pharma didn't do much critical, uh, clinical research and put out their opioid uh, You like that? Product. I wrote about that in the book. Oh, it's so ugly. It's so ugly. <laughs> they did not show that long-term opioid use was safer or effective. Neither one. Two essentials. They, they did not show that. So when OxyContin, that 12-hour formulation came out, there was no science to back up saying more opioids is better. And uh, as we saw what happened with that, it turned into a massive disaster and, and they're in big trouble now for that. Yeah, what I can't really understand is why would a government that had been prohibiting opium for so long suddenly open up and say yes to opium type of drugs and then still say no to a cannabis product just because a big pharma was behind it. You know, why can't a big pharma be behind cannabis? I, I, I don't understand. I'm just cynical because I know it's about money. <laughs> it's money. You know, you can take this this pharma drug and you can um, you can own the rights to it and then you can duplicate it and then you can market it. My favorite drug as an example of that is, is this drug called guaifenesin. I don't know if you have it there. It's known as its tag name is Mucinex. And um, this was a drug that was forever, when I first became a pharmacist, being prescribed when you had like a sinus infection or a cold where you were blocked up. And you get it combined with a decongestant, typically Sudafed, and then it would be mixed with this quifenesin to help um, kind of loosen stuff up in the sinuses. I thought it was a complete waste of a drug. I never really saw anybody benefiting from it, but whatever. Um, then this company comes along and they buy the rights to guifenesin and they brand it Mucinex. And all of a sudden they have these dancing commercials and people that this is gonna help you and help you breathe and help. And I thought, really? This was never a good drug when it was the original drug in the first place. But if you market it and you have a company that can make billions off of it, 
suddenly that's really attractive to these companies. And with cannabis, it's different every time you grow it. So is how is somebody going to have, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to work. That's above my pay grade, but how is somebody going to get the rights to just that one plant and be able to profit off of it? And if they can't, well, let's make it go away. So um, in my cynical belief, I believe it's about money. It's always about money. So how did the FDA then approve GW Farmers Epidiolex? Because that is a CBD product, obviously. Yeah, and, and a plant-based shown... one too. So it's actually made from plants, not synthetic. Um, so they were able to show that in these um, patients that have a very severe and rare uh, seizure disorder, really, really sad, that happens from childhood, uh, Lennox-Gastaut, where they, they're constantly seizing, none of the anti-seizure drugs were able to work. But we saw this 10 years ago in Colorado where it all started here in the United States was they started to give this to, to kids because they had no other options. And that's where it started. It didn't start with GW Pharmaceuticals. It started with just regular people as usual. And so GW came along and they put the money in. They put, what is it, $5 million to get a drug pass these days. They put the money in to get the studies and to have it so it is produced where it is consistent every single time because it's not just the cannabinoids, it's also the terpenes. There's, there's hundreds of different molecules that are contained within the plants. And besides cannabinoids, CBD, THC, um, terpenes like linalool and myrcene, these also contribute to the anti-seizure effect. So their product is the same every single time you use it. And the price reflects that, you know, where you can go to a dispensary here and a medical dispensary and get a thousand milligrams of CBD for around $50, your GW Pharma um, will charge you around a thousand dollars for the same amount of drugs. So, you know, if you're going to have a pharmaceutical company create your drug, you're going to pay for it, <laughs> you're pay for it. So, and is it better? Is it better for the patient? There's arguments both ways. In my book, um, uh, Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein is the one that one of the one of the doctors that has uh, worked with a lot of these seizure patients and written about her results of what she saw. And like any seizure patient with any pharma drug, it's still all over the map. But at least it's a tool. And for the patients, I've seen patients that as soon as they start using it, the seizure activity goes down and that's what we want. We just want, you know, something to be available. So GW kind of took off of what we, we had 10 years ago and they paid for it. <laughs> so that's where they got approved. They paid for it. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you had enjoyed or disliked the show, please let me know in the comment section. I can only improve or add value to you through your voices. If there are any topics that you'd like me to pick up, please let me know in the comment section as well. I'd love to start chatting with you. And if you'd like to continue listening to the show, please subscribe. Thank you.